Welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Daniel. We have a big episode today. We have our first returning guest, Alec Hudson. Thanks for coming back. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we we just finished the 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 Raveling series. Um, if you're if you're listening to this and have not finished the Raveling series, I would recommend it. <laughs> Um, especially before listening to this, <laughs> but, um, we also have all of our episodes on that. So let's, let's go ahead and jump into it. Dan, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I'd love to start us off. So Alec, as Luke mentioned, we just finished the raveling. Something that Luke and I mentioned in our last episode about the Shadow King was how we really liked the kind of loose threads that were left at the end of the raveling, things that weren't completely nicely resolved. Um, but there was one that, that kept nagging at me uh, that I knew I was going to ask you if we had the opportunity. <laughs> um, and so I just have to know what happens to Jan's dog? <laughs> How did that uh, turn out? Well, uh, if I reach back into the dim prehistory of book one, I think I remember that the dog went off with the miller uh, and is probably happily protecting the granary from uh, from uh, uh, rats and keeping the cats in line. Mm. So uh, don't worry. Don't worry. I, w- I would never have any horrific fate befall a dog or cat in one of my books so readers can be assured that that's not gonna that, that nothing bad happened <laughs> good that's good that's okay. really good to hear yeah that that's puts really that hear. puts me yeah. at ease thank you Alec. okay oh, no, no, no or i i hate to think you're getting sleepless nights uh concerned about i mean the dog didn't even remember him i don't know if you remember that but uh jan actually changed its brain oh, chemistry right. magically yes. Yes, so that it did. would so that so that it would you know all those wonderful doggo emotions that head toward Jan will be transferred to someone else. So I, I tied up all the loose threads. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Good. Okay. That, that definitely improves my opinion of Jan. And so my next question, you, you have spent tons of time on this story and I'm assuming you have developed opinions or thoughts on characters. Um, we had some pretty strong opinions. Like we, we were pretty, we came down pretty hard on the immortals. We came down, or at least I came down surprisingly hard on Kalen. Uh, did you have any, any opinions that developed of your characters as you wrote? Uh, well, yes. I mean, there's there's there's, right, there's characters that I prefer writing about. I find them more interesting, and they're not necessarily the ones that I agree with their particular worldview. Um, sometimes it's fun to write someone who is so, so like kind of diametrically opposed to how you view the world. So, um, for me, like I always I, I think Aliana is a reprehensible human being, but she's my favorite character to write. Her. Uh, her point of view chapters. Um, so, yeah, so I do have strong opinions about my characters, but oftentimes they're not aligned with, um, you know, how much I like to write about them. Sure, sure. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, I don't know. We, are you, do you ever hear back from, from people or I guess people that have read the book about their opinion on a character and you're like mind blown that that's what they think. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of just curious how I feel like you're about to blow we, my mind. <laughs> oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think I am. I just, I, I know we have very strong opinions on people and I, I kind of always assume that that's slightly different from how the author views it. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I think you, they, that I, well, we all, the the characters themselves are are obviously static, but we're all coming from them from radically different places. So of course we're gonna have different interpretations of them, and you know, and uh, and like them varying amounts based on just who we are as people. I think. So yeah, but um, it sometimes comes out in reviews uh, where 
someone will say, uh, I thought, you know, so-and-so was, was just the, the worst character. There was, there was no, mo- there, they showed no growth, no character growth, no da 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 And as, as a writer, you know, you feel like, oh, well, I guess I, I failed for that particular reader. But um, you, you kind of have to look at things in a holistic sense because some things work for some people and some things don't. And you, can't, you cannot please every reader all the time or, or, or mm-hmm. hope to bring all readers to the same point where you want them to be. It's, you just uh, hope that in kind of aggregate you, you, you arrive at the place you want to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one of the characters that Luke and I might have kind of come to a different uh, perspective of than you, and maybe not, um, is Senecas. Luke and I mm-hmm. talked a lot about Senecas. Uh, and I don't know if we necessarily went back and forth, but we kind of landed on a, a view of Senecas as this kind of, like, considerate dolt. Like, <laughs> somebody who's not the brightest... Uh, but is very considerate and very kind to everyone. Um, and that struck me as a characterization that, like, I don't know if, if it was written that way explicitly, but just a lot of the stuff that Senecas did, we were we were kind of giving him some crap for. Okay, so uh, can I give me an example? Yeah. So, uh, like, Senecas was... So, so one of the, the areas that we thought he was being very considerate was when um, he was, like, keeping his eyes shut. Or he was turning to face the wall when he was recovering um, right before Keelan and Aliana left to go take care of the worm. And so this was kind of a moment where we um, started to come back around to Senecas. But the reason that we thought Senecas, like, might not be all with it uh was and we kind of talked about this in the first in our first uh episodes about the crimson queen was that he didn't realize that demian is definitely a sorcerer uh and all of this magic stuff that's happening around him you know that the pure would be very against uh he didn't really pick up on the fact that it was magic until somebody came out and told him like hey this is magic and so i think that is what kind of colored our perspective of him as like not necessarily all with it like not necessarily all kind of thinking things through all the way um so that that's an interesting interesting point um so how i justified to myself that he didn't know what demian was doing his magic was first that he had always been able to sense magic and Mm. demian was able to hide his magic which which confused him a lot um, and, mm-hmm. and threw him for a big loop because he, I don't think at that point, uh, he realized that some powerful sorcerers were able to hide themselves from the pure. Um, and also he was, Demian was a shadow blade or Kithkatan, whatever. Um, right. and that those, these were, uh, their capabilities were not totally known to Senecas, so I think he was justifying any sort of magical, magic-esque abilities as through some of their unique Shadow Blade abilities. Um, but I will totally agree that Senecas is... Um, so, uh, you know, we're, on the topic of Senecas, I really like Senecas as a character, and I like writing him. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I do think he's he's a very flawed person, but he's mm-hmm. what I was going for with Senecas was... A, um, you know, a flawed person whose heart is in the right place, but ends up doing bad things because of the way they were raised. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like a kind of like a, fun, a fundamentalist uh, at, in a religion who honestly are not bad people, but they've just been basically indoctrinated and uh, are capable of really bad things and justify it. You know, they use that some kind of circular religious logic to justify what they're doing. Um and uh, I, I've known people like that, and some of my best friends are like that. And yeah. uh, I just wanted to have put a character like that into a fantasy story and uh, and write about them um, and see yeah. if I could make them, uh, you know, because he does terrible things, like really terrible <laughs> things. Like it, basically, his job is finding children, and 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 you know, he gives them up to Ama, 
um, uh-huh. which means that they'll either be murdered or turned into people like him. Um, and he says, well, it's, you know, it's, it's God's will. You know, if, if I'm a means for them to be a paladin, then he will, he will do that. Um, so it's not really like, so he's actually, he justifies it to himself that he's, he's not doing something evil, even though he, by, you know, most outside perspectives, he would be considered very evil. Um, yeah, so sorry, I'm sort of rambling there, but no, uh, no, for sure. And I mean, that's also very, I think there's that moment where Senecus is going to get his sword to kill the, um, the guy who's creating the flame creature for his grandkids uh and there's also this moment of and he he ends up not doing it um but there's like a lot of conflict there with like uh do i have to like wipe out all sorcery um and yeah so i i, I mean i think definitely senecus is a is a conflicted character uh throughout this book um and i I think Luke and I might have been a little hard on him for the things he was going through. <laughs> yeah, I will say part of the part of the reason that I asked this question is because Dan and I talk like for with your books. Dan and I talked about your books for over nine hours, <laughs> and most people don't most people don't do that. So our opinions are formed <laughs> over like some echo chamber of me and Dan bouncing our ideas off of each other. Uh, and I think they come out pretty twisted by the end of, by the end of our, our, our discussions, but I don't think we can really see them. So like <laughs> Synecus is one example. I think, I don't know if Dan was with me. We came, we, we, we came down a little negative on Keelan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that hinges entirely on in the second book, he didn't leave a note for the, for the pirate Lord. And that's like <laughs> completely, completely changed us on Keelan. And uh, I think it's just, it's interesting to see how our opinions shift over nonsense that I'm assuming other readers <laughs> probably don't feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, what I like about this is you guys are, uh, you're, you're, you're identifying moments in the story that I, you know, I like to think that I'm, I, 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 I try to be careful when I'm writing, but you guys have, you know, successfully attacked points in the narrative that... <laughs> I imagined were unassailable. <laughs> so congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, thank you. Thank you. That's that's kind of what we're here for. So I kind of feel like my next book I should send to you guys first, have you discuss it for 10 hours straight, and when they get back, I think I could make that sucker absolutely ironclad. Yeah, but then we'll, well have nothing it's... to talk about on the show, so I don't really want yeah. really to really do that. It would probably be, after that, it would be like the most boring book so don't <laughs> yeah that's true we <laughs> um let's see so you you brought up Senecus's job as a paladin of ama mm-hmm. and this is really closely related to me to a character that i didn't think i was gonna side with and i don't think luke sided with this character uh i don't know if i convinced him or not but by the end of Shadow King, uh, I was Team Shadow King, uh, <laughs> and and I ended up being Team Chosen because there is a lot of child sacrifice in this universe, and nobody really addresses it except the Chosen. <laughs> so, like, they're sacrificing ki- well. Maybe sacrificing kids to Ama, but a lot of kids die to make a pure. Um, and we also learn about the the oracle at Lear that it seemed like they sacrificed kids to that as well in a way. Uh, huh. And so, and we also get the stories of Shan and the children that are sacrificed there. And so it just seemed hmm. like there is a lot of child sacrifice that goes on in this universe that isn't really addressed by anybody. And so I kind of understood where the chosen came from. Um, the one question that I have though, and this is the, the fault that Luke brought up with my reasoning is it sounds like the chosen want to like destroy everything and kill everybody, which that includes children, I'm assuming. And so, So the question that I have is if the afterlife is worse 
or better than being a chosen. Because maybe they just don't want kids to be sacrificed and turned into the chosen. Essentially, what's what is death like, Alec? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is sort of like looking at a TV screen that's tuned to a dead channel for eternity, uh, which may be better than being oh. a chosen. Oh, which would I prefer? Ooh, this sounds like a kind of like a would you rather question. <laughs> would you rather be staring at a TV screen turned to nothing for eternity or feel like you're constantly covered in like the black suffocating ooze that the chosen seem to be covered in. Hmm. Hmm. And they, but they, they can sing songs, I guess. So (laughs) that's a, that's a plus. That's a plus. Uh, Let's, okay. Let's, let's go to a, let's go to a hap. That's a, I don't know if you intentionally did this, Great transition. Uh, let's go. We ha- we have a couple. Would you rather questions? Okay. A couple uh, raveling themed. Would you rather's? Okay. Um, let me start off. Okay. So, the th- this is about the the ancient worm that kind of makes your makes your brain itch when you're nearby. Um, I, if if there's another ancient that does something similar, would you rather live near an ancient that makes you feel like you are about to sneeze but you never do, or that <laughs> makes you feel like you are always about to fart? Oh, wow, that's a deep question. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I, I'm gonna have to go with fart. I think. Uh, okay. S- sneeze. Uh, I can't imagine how annoying that would be to have a sneeze constantly building and be unable to to let it out. Um, but uh, but I think both 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 scenarios are pretty horrifying. Um, yeah, I related to that. Um, so in Lear, uh, we're introduced to the helmets that they wear and Senecas gets stuck with a helmet that like funnels the rainwater down onto his face. Um, so would you rather be the guard in Lear who has to wear that helmet like for their everyday rounds or a flayed warrior from the Skine that has uh, just a regular person's face tattooed onto their face? Uh, I think I'd, I'd have to go with the skine. Um, you might get a, a little bit of um, uh, joshing from your your fellow barbarians, but uh, at the very least, you know you're you're not constantly getting wet because it rains a lot in Lear. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, I have to say, you guys do okay. read. You guys read very closely. Very. Very closely. <laughs> we live. Yeah. We live and die on the little details, so we love them. <laughs> Yeah, because as a writer, I'm just going to throw this out here. It's like stuff like that, that helmet thing, is that when I'm writing that scene, I'm just looking for something to sort of give this, the scene a bit more personality or character, you know? You never actually think that someone's going to pull that out and question, you know, the world uh, uh, th- that would allow such a thing to come about, you know, an open-faced helmet. Like, it's... <laughs> Okay. We, we figured it was like one of the hazing rituals that the guards of Lear did. It was something where they gave the new guard this like terrible helmet. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. We do. We do. Yeah, you're right. We do read potentially too closely because we we got to come up with we got to come up with a lot of jokes. But okay, okay. Let's. I'm gonna move on to another one. Um, would you rather be a Shan who wants to worship the betrayers, but you faint every time you see blood or a skine who is allergic to meat. Mm. Ooh. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the fainting because I, I think, uh, uh, I think you'd probably end up with an ax in the back of your head pretty fast. If you were a vegetarian skine. Um, no. plus I don't know what you need up there. <laughs> Snow cones. Dan, Dan, Dan is vegetarian, so no skine for Dan. Um. But you're welcome to worship the chosen. As long as blood's okay. 
actually, I think I, I think I'm kind of there. Yeah, you. Yeah, Dan's <laughs> been there for a while, actually. <laughs> um. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> would you rather be the Autumn Warlock, but the Spring Warlock's experiments with earthquakes are making everyone a little nervous, or the only sorcerer of the Star Towers without one of those floating sphere things that where you can get between the two towers, kind of, e- or the, between the towers, kind of easily? Uh, I guess I would go. I would much rather be one of the uh, Star Tower sorcerers. Um, because mm. uh, with the with the Shen warlocks, you're on a you know if if like uh, I don't know you know some plague hits the Shen capital city all of a sudden and you're the winter warlock you know that you're next on the chopping block. Right. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, if you're the only sorcerer of the Star Towers without one of those floating spheres, that's got to be embarrassing too. Oh, this is true. This is true. They have all other sorts of cool stuff as well, you know. It's just, uh, that's not their only rad um, That's toy. fair. But we did say Autumn Warlock, right? So you've still got a little bit of time. Yeah. <laughs> Dan thought out this question for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty, it's, it's, it's quite a difficult yeah we've got yeah okay okay let's let's i'm gonna i'm gonna do i'm gonna do a tough one here it's a little complex mm. we we talked a lot about niara and her attempts to make new species of uh animals and that kind of thing so would you rather have niara develop grapes as a new fruit in your backyard no one else has them but she didn't have the foresight to make them seedless or receive a puppy from Niara that turns into a snake whenever you try to cuddle with it. Oh, uh, definitely the grapes. Uh, I, I live in China. I don't think they even have seedless grapes here, so I've I've come to terms with seeded grapes. Whoa! And I, I, I despise snakes, so uh, I, I, I wouldn't be able to handle that at all. Hold it. So all of your grapes have seeds in them in I've China? Never seen, well, I've never seen a seedless grape in China. Uh, Oh I just gosh. crunch through those those bad boys and and swallow them. Uh, you eat them? Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, quite the bar- barbarians over here. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I always thought you were supposed to spit them out. I have. I just had no idea what to do with seeded grapes. So. <laughs> well, I think I've heard that there's like cyanide in those. Who cares? Yeah. I figure if I'm living <laughs> over here, I've I've ingested enough, you know, negative chemicals into my body that I'm probably immune to most anything at this point yeah yeah yeah. you've developed yeah uh, it's, a, it's a it's a positive <laughs> um okay would you okay i've got a, i've got a couple more we've got a couple more um <laughs> would you rather have aliana's flail but it insults you for using it and like they're legitimately kind of hurtful insults about something you're insecure about or uh, Damien's sword, but it always seems to shock you with static, and it's surprising every time. Like it startles you every time. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I would go with the flail because I can handle insults, and uh, I'd be afraid that like if I got shocked and dropped the sword and accidentally cut myself somehow, Oof. I'd get my soul sucked out, um, <laughs> which is worse than feeling bad because the flail needled you or something yeah okay okay that's that's fair that's, that's a very that's okay. a very wise I'm, answer i'm gonna i'm gonna move on to some some normal questions here because we've got a lot of games okay yeah <laughs> okay 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 let's see um so i was noticing and i'm sure everyone else was too the chosen like everything that they do is super gruesome and dark. What was that hard to write those parts? I was I was kind of reading those and kind of being like, Alec, are you okay here? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, okay. I I I would have trouble writing certain scenes, um, but I, for whatever reason, 
never had any trouble with anything they did. I don't know what, what in particular you found so gruesome. Um, uh, just thinking like the the vision we get where they're they've got a uh, buildings of oh. body parts. Mm, yeah, stuff uh, like that. So that's like a horror pyramids movie. Pyramids of that, heads. Yeah, see, that's like a horror movie. That's just a shock scene. That's for me. That's that's you know easy to write and easy to visualize. If I was to like you know if 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 Jan was like, uh, sorry, doggo, I'm gonna have to put you down before I leave in case you tell anyone oh. that I'm an immortal. I see. I couldn't have done that. Um, mm-hmm. So this just. But like a pyramid my... of human skulls, it was like no, no problem at all, no sweat. Nah, that's nah, fine. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um. Okay, so one of the questions that we had near the end of the Shadow King uh, has to do with Lask. Because we find out towards the end of the raveling that Lask is um, this like special type of sorcerer who eats. Uh, I, I don't think we're ever super clear if he has to like if it's only magical things that he eats if he gets power or if he gets power through uh, if like if he can get other powers through eating things. But the question that I had is, did Lask? Did Lask eat some of the worm? Oh. Because oh, because if I'm Lask, <laughs> I'm I'm eating so much of that worm. Um and so I got to know if Lask ate some of the worm and then this is actually kind of I guess kind of related to the first question that we have here asked you. How did that worm taste? Wow. Um I'll have to admit that this is, yet again, you guys have hit upon something that I did not possibly conceive of. Um, uh, I'm going to say he did try it, um, mm-hmm. and it tasted uh, like uh, Fruit Loop cereal, uh, but it did not give him any powers. So it's an interdimensional being. It's it's different yeah. than you know what he's used to. Okay, sure. Right, 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 right. Then I guess this kind of dovetails in... When you were thinking of Lask... We get that story where he ate the heart of this woman that raised him, um, which to me sounds kind of gross. Is is there something that's like the worst thing that Lask ever ate to see if it would give him power? Is there something that you, when you were writing Lask, thought about like the things this guy would try and like the worst thing he would try? Or is it <laughs> is it kind of contained within that story of him? eating his like mother figure's heart um i uh i didn't delve into it too deeply i meant Uh the scene where he drank the gentiaki's blood to be to demonstrate that he was willing to go to extreme disgusting lengths to uh to see what sort of powers he could absorb but uh the you're right i didn't uh uh i didn't even I, I didn't. I didn't go too far down that path. Okay. Okay. Cool. I think. I think that's Probably not not too smart. productive a use of my of my uh, <laughs> brainstorming time. But uh, I don't know. No, definitely not. That's definitely that's kind of what we're 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 here for. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Just, <laughs> um. Uh. Let's see. Okay. So. Since you've, kind of in the same vein of my first question, since you've gone, you've spent so much time in this world. And I, if I remember correctly, you, do you normally plot out a good amount of your of your story before writing? Uh, I I don't really. Um, I have oh, okay. I have the the sweep. Like I, I know the beginning, the middle, the end, and the major plot points, and I kind of see them as like peaks. And then you know the valleys are sort of um, I I discover them as I write. The book so i know you know character needs to go from a to b um and what happens isn't that fleshed out uh but i do okay. know where he's supposed to go and i do have a sense of what the last scenes are going to look like okay that 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 kind of answers my question in advance i was going to ask if you ever like plot out something and after you've written a character or something for so long you realize that's wrong for them and change it up um but it sounds like, it sounds like that's not really the case. But do you? I guess do you ever 
you ever get to a spot and realize that you need to to write something differently than you had planned just because of where you've gotten to? Uh, yes. Yeah, certainly. Um, I've made big changes to the story when I got to points and realized that it did just, I, I well, usually it's not so much were, as... Were, the, were mm. there any, like, big surprises while you were writing? Like, any um, changes that kind of surprised you about maybe some, one of the valleys or how you were going to get to one of those peaks? Oh, um, mm, yeah, stuff happens all the time when I'm, when I'm, when I'm just sort of moving from point A to point B that ends up being really important later on. I'm pretty sure that, um, now, see, I wrote the first book a long, long time ago, but, um, I think, uh, like, for example, the character of Shin, the, um, the fist warrior from the Crimson Queen, I'm fairly sure that, I mean, I wrote this book like four years ago, uh, that he was just meant to be a side character that they encountered on the, when they're on the caravan going to, um, Demoria. But, you know, once you, once a character pops into your head and you start thinking of the possibilities, you realize there's a lot more that could be done there. Um, and, uh, and he eventually became one of the, you know, big characters in the book. Uh, so stuff like that happens pretty regularly. And I think that's, that's the, really the fun of writing. If you honestly knew, if you had a really, really detailed outline, you stuck exactly to it and you was just going through the motions, like paint by number stuff, like I, it really would, it would be a lot less fun. So... Mm. You know, you, 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 as a writer, you really like it when something just pops into your head and you're like, oh, that changes everything, but I'm excited about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so we asked this question uh, when, we, when we talked to you last, but I want to ask it again because it's been a while since we talked to you. Um, it's about theories. So we came up with another theory uh, while reading uh, The Silver Sorceress and The Shadow King about uh, Senecas being a Genthyaki. And uh, we we kind of, I think Luke and I decided that the, one of the peers got to be a Genthyaki somewhere along the line um, just because of the, the nature of um, some of the Genthyaki absorbing power in the same way Lask does, and it would be, like, the perfect cover for one of them to be pure and constantly have these powerful sorceress, sorcerers brought to them so that they could be sacrificed to Ama. Um, so Luke and I love this theory. Um, I'm curious if in the last two books or over the course of the Raveling, have you gotten any other fan theories that you think are either really cool or kind of funny and how silly they are or any theories that have stood out to you that like fans have come up with? Oh, um, you know, I do have a few emails from folks who, uh, had some very interesting ideas. Um, but of course now my mind is going totally blank. <laughs> the Genthiaki, uh, pure Genthiaki is rather fascinating, um, uh, idea i i just to go back to that i, I imagine yeah. there was such a thing a long time ago as when there were more genthiakis and you know but uh i i uh i don't think that would be today but uh, in terms of other theories geez, racking my brain here as i'm as i'm rambling and i can't think of any that are like maybe i'll open up my email and take a look while we're chatting and see if something sure. else one yeah <laughs> If something comes to you too while we're while we're playing a game or something else later on down, uh, feel free to bring it up. That's, yeah, that's totally fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us to. It's kind of a game, but it's 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 pretty. Inf I think it's gonna be informative. Uh, so you mentioned that Aliana was your kind of one of your favorite characters and favorite character to write. I wanna I wanna I wanna get to know Aliana a little bit better. So we were both intrigued by Aliana's bag of <laughs> where she has tons of artifacts and things like that. And so me and Dan are going to come up with our thoughts on we, something that we think might be in Aliana's bag. And um, each one kind of, if they, if they are there or are not there, will give us a little bit more of an insight into Aliana. So I'll, I'll, I'll give my first 
my first thought on what might be in there. I think there's got to be a Shan tea kettle invested with a soul that makes it stay at the perfect temperature in there. Oh, okay. Yep, uh, that's a possibility. <laughs> Luke, why would, why would Eliana of, have that? Yeah. I think she's got a taste for the finer things, and... I, I think she might have left that one with the spider, though. I think she was, uh, it, it's not a bag of holding, so she already has to, you know, have some, uh, uh, she's got to go about, she, she's got to bring things that can be used, unless she's splashing hot water in people's faces in times of duress, <laughs> like, that's, there's, uh, that, that's probably something she leaves behind, you know, with the spider, so when they get back, they can just have a nice cup of oolong or something and talk about okay. what happened. Talk yeah. about their so day. So maybe maybe yeah. this should be more of a more of a what's in what's in Aliana's vault rather than her bag. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I've got one that that I think would be pretty easy for her to bring along and could be helpful. Um, I think maybe she's got uh, a pair of shades to block out the haters. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. She she could uh she could use that. The thing about Aliana is that she just doesn't care what other people think about her. She really doesn't. Ooh. So, so it, no shades. The, well, they're, they're just sort of constantly invisibly grafted onto her. Um, <laughs> She's always wearing the shades to block out the haters then. Yeah. yeah. Or okay. more, more like she doesn't need them just because she doesn't see anyone else. Um, okay. That's, that's, that sounds good. Okay. Uh, this, one, this one's more of, a, more of an Aliana's vault one. Do you think that she has a jar of eyes from the pure that she uses as like a lamp in her reading room? Oh, um, uh, uh, I don't know if the pure's eyes would continue to emit light post excision. So, uh, uh, probably not. She may just keep them around because they look nice, but, uh, but uh, probably not le- less for more for decoration than the practical purposes. Okay. Okay. Um, what about a refrigerator box and some M&Ms to recapture the chosen as an alternative plan that she didn't end up going with? Um, there, that, that's, uh, that's, that's also an interesting one. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. That she didn't really, she, she could have taken the angle that they are children and children do have weaknesses. And so they just need to <laughs> attack those weaknesses intelligently. Yeah, and uh, M&M's going into, back into the chest would, um, would be easier than finding and stabbing them with unique weapons. For sure, for sure. Okay, this one, this one I'm not... Well, okay, we'll see what you say about this. A lucky rabbit foot that she thinks is from a powerful Gintaki in the form of a rabbit, but... It could also just be a regular rabbit foot. Um, uh, definitely that's in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Cool. Okay. Um, lastly, and I think this is like also a slam dunk. She's got to have a book titled Resetting Jan's Brain for Dummies, a step-by-step guide. Right? <laughs> uh She's probably moved beyond the dummies aspect, but okay. uh, but but she's definitely got like you know a manual there that uh, she has to reference and make sure she's not, you know, bringing back a different a personality she's already done or you know crossing the wires incorrectly because that would be just pretty disastrous. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, okay. Okay. I've got a question. That's. A little bit more serious, um, but it's about the end of the world. So, uh, you know, Keelan and the Crimson Queen and Cho Lin, essentially, and Jan, we'll give Jan a little credit, and maybe Aliana as well, but they essentially, like, stopped the end of the world. Um, at least the end of this continent, where a lot of this stuff is happening. Um, but not a lot of people saw them do anything Hmm. so um like do you envision the crimson queen and keelan like 
telling a bunch of people about what happened or i mean they kind of made the mistake of leaving the only bard inside the worm um (laughs) but how do you kind of see the story getting out of what happened well uh the the worm actually burst out of the barrow at the end there and uh, so now they have a several kilometer long creature lying in the mountains that wasn't there before so Uh it probably is going to raise some eyebrows and you Mm -hmm. know stories will trickle back uh, but, you know, that, again, that's not, unless someone's out there, you know, doing some wilderness adventures, they're probably not going to stumble upon it anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, in the in the follow-up series, which I'm outlining but haven't started writing, um, it, it's th- this is the, the events of the Shadow King mostly are unknown to the regular hoi polloi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Which... I was thinking about that at the at the end of the book, you know, how like epic this final battle was and, and how they, yeah, they essentially saved the world. Uh, but then, you know, they're out, nobody's there to kind of see them save the world. So right. uh, if I were Keelan, I would just be, I'd be a little pissed. Like, man, this is so cool. And I'm going to have to tell people if I want them to hear about this great story. And that, that makes it a little less cool for Keelan. But uh, okay. Interesting. Right. Um, you, okay. I have, yeah, go ahead, Luke. Oh, I, I have another question. We talked a lot about Niara, as I mentioned. I have another question about her island. So she's got this, this giant cat, and we didn't get to see in, in the book if Keelan cuddled it or pet it or anything. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to confirm to make sure he he did right. Uh, probably not. I don't. I don't think I, that's got to be a little bit. It, it's a big tiger thing. Like you don't even want to take your hand off or anything like that. <laughs> I'd be nervous. I don't know. I don't know. Do you guys? Uh, do you guys catch uh, what that was a reference to? Her having that cat, or what? What inspired me? This is totally totally random. So. It's actually, I was I was gonna guess Clifford the Big Red Dog, but no. that's a little too far off. I think. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Have you guys read Watchmen? The, the comic book or the oh, it's like what Ozymandias, right? That's, yes, yes. He, he has like the links, or the yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's right. fantastic. I had not made that connection uh, until just now. Wow, cool. And like Niara is kind of that kind of a figure as well whoa yeah that's super cool yeah so that's um, a, there's actually a whole bunch of little stuff i assume every writer has it where you like you do something because it's inspired by something or you're thinking of something but no one will ever catch it unless you actually bring it up <laughs> yeah <laughs> although you guys yeah. might with your with your in-depth analysis if you ever do stumble across something i'll be really impressed i mean it's like that like you know something fundamentally true <laughs> Right, <laughs> something that's actually real and not just the stuff that we're <laughs> we're uh, making up. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, okay. Another question that I had, I think maybe in the same vein as my question about Lask, just kind of a a question about the world, is we're introduced to Keelan because he almost well, he doesn't almost wake, but he disturbs one of these ancient creatures mm-hmm. and this ancient creature he disturbs is deep underwater. And from what we've seen about the ancients is they need some civilization keeping them asleep. So are, are the fish people keeping this <laughs> ancient one asleep and if so what kind of messed up genocide are they doing to keep this this ancient one asleep Ooh, we're getting deep in the weeds here um <laughs> i i guess to 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 i don't see the ancients as the talent the the sorcerers need to be there to keep them asleep necessarily they're just sort of uh-huh. sleeping but if uh-huh. they're getting close to waking they can be soothed back to sleep so it's mm. sort of like the the sleeper in the deep there doesn't he isn't actually on the verge of waking, so no one mm. needs to be there to to keep him asleep. Um, but uh, uh, but 
alternatively, there there could be genocidal fish people down there sacrificing children. You know, little tadpoles or whatnot, little over and over again yeah. to keep them keep them sleeping. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I think that makes sense. Um, I just all these ancient ones that we've seen have to have some horrible genocide to keep them from. Uh, well, I guess at least some horrible sacrifice to keep them asleep. I guess, so yeah, I guess we've only seen two. Though, yeah, that's to be fair. Yeah, we have no idea how many <laughs> there are. That's a great point, Luke. Um, okay, I so one thing for me when I when I look back and listen to like one of me and Dan's early episodes. I, I, I hate doing that because I always feel like we've gotten much better and it's, it feels terrible to listen to, uh, early episodes of us. I was wondering, do you ever like you've written three books now? Do you ever look back at the Crimson Queen or any, I don't know if you've written shorter books before then and, see things that are like, oh man, I wish I had that back or you wanted, or something that you wanted to change. Um, so there's two ways to look at that. One is from a plot standpoint or character standpoint, I wish I'd done things differently for reasons later in the, in the book. And mm. I'm sure there are instances of that. <clears throat> Although again, I'd have to mm, uh, spend some time thinking about it exactly. From a craft standpoint, um, it's actually kind of interesting is that the Crimson Queen was my first book, um, but I spent a long time writing it and I really, mm-hmm. I, I would rewrite chapters and paragraphs and, and keep polishing it until I felt the writing was really good. Whereas the later books, I mean, I'm proud of them, but I, I wasn't able to, I didn't have the luxury of several years to, or, you know, people, well, I did actually for Civil Sorceress, but, uh, but it, I definitely did not spend as much time making the 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 um, the mechanics of the writing as 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 strong. Like there are passages in the Crimson Queen I'm quite proud of, and there aren't as many in the later books. I don't think they're poorly written, but it's just the more I feel the more time you spend on something, you know, you just keep the polishing it into the luster is really good. And I didn't do that for the for the for the second books uh, as much, um, but. Uh, yeah. So. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. So it's kind of the opposite, Luke. What you what you were kind of getting at, right? Where, yeah, our early episodes are the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys um, have like one take, right? I mean, it, it, and yeah. it's and it's done. Whereas right. it's not like I'm writing. I can go back and and tweak it as many times as I as I want, so long as I have the time to do that. Uh, so right. if you guys could just re-record every <laughs> se- small segment over and over again, it would probably be fairly disjointed unless you're awesome at editors, but, uh, I bet it would be just absolutely brilliant. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Alec. That's generous. It's very <laughs> generous. Um, actually that brings me to another question related to like the craft of writing. When we interviewed you the first time, um, there was kind of you mentioned that you felt this like pressure um from the popularity of the crimson queen um has that changed over time like have you learned uh kind of how to adapt to that more or do you still feel like there's a lot of pressure um that comes with the success and like maybe scrutiny that comes with success well i think you guys hit me when i was popular (laughs) 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 and uh it's not uh it uh Definitely, the fear has died down quite a bit. So, um, uh, I have to say, I, I am feeling a lot less pressure, um, which is both good and bad because there just aren't as many people reading my stuff. But uh, um, uh, I guess just getting out that second book was good because it, I think it, it it had flaws, and it was the best book I could I could do at you know the, this that stage of my writing. It was my second book, um, mm-hmm. but. Um, uh, I can accept those flaws and move on and hopefully be a better writer in the future. But I guess I definitely don't feel like, you know, when you step up to the plate the first time and you hit a triple, you know, the, the next time you, everyone's expecting a home run the next time you get up, you know, and if you like just do like a solid infield single or something like that, um, it can be, but then you learn to accept it and you're like, oh, well, you know, at least I got the guy on third home. So whatever. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, cool. Um, Luke, I'm ready to move on to our last game. Are you ready to move on to, to there? Yeah. Okay. So, Alec, the, the last game that we've worked up uh, is inspired by the one of the final battle scenes where the forces of the Crimson Queen and the forces of the Skyne come together and, and duke it out for dominance um, in this ending of the Shadow King, uh, which was super epic and awesome. Um, and so we wanted to take two sides and pit them against each other and kind of have you uh, determine like kind of what would happen. Um, so for example, the first one that we have are, um, we have uh, the fish people who are Niara's servants riding <laughs> on giant turtles that the Shan used to leave the raveling behind. Those are versus, big turtles. Yes, very big turtles. Versus the strange centipede people from the worm chamber riding on the white, scary centipedes from the Skyne battle. Woo. What? Wow. Um, I, well, okay, so I guess the, the key issue here is whether they're fighting on land or water, right? Ooh, that is an important issue that I right, have considered. Mm -hmm. turtles on land are not very intimidating um but they are but very big they are very big that's true <clears throat> and uh, those centipede things in water would probably just sink mm -hmm. so we have to, we're gonna have to go with have to go with land here um mm -hmm. i'd have to say probably the centipede things would be uh there's more mandibles and serrated bits <laughs> on them than like on a turtle so okay we'll that yeah and i think the fish people would probably just like give up so that's fair yeah they did seem like they sort of just gave up yeah <laughs> yeah they didn't do a lot of defending niara uh no. during that last combat so yeah <laughs> they're just like nope i'm out <laughs> went back to the water right right okay here's another one um so two sides fighting we've got the ginthiaki He's being super casual. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt versus the arrogant Red Fang warrior priest. And he can choose whatever non-magical weapon he wants. Oh, uh, which which arrogant Red Fang warrior priest is that from the beginning of the second book? Yes. The, yeah. the one yeah. that tells Cho Lin she's never going to be the greatest warrior because she doesn't get entirely into the nothing within the self. Oh, 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 okay. So the guy in the in the in the in the hall in the beginning. Yes. Um, uh, I, I'm good. I'm gonna go Hawaiian shirt or not. Again, Tiaki has the edge there. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Okay, I think that's kind of what we what we anticipated they, too. They move fast. I mean, outside of being like really good sorcerers, the Gentiaki, they get, they they pretty much slapped around uh, Cholin's dad and Shin and people yeah. like that. Demian even, you know, they he, yeah. They're yeah. they're like an oh. This okay. This this sorry. To, this I got super excited here. This leads me to a question I wanted to ask that I forgot about. Um, so Cholin's dad. The the we talked about this a little bit. The the Cho family has been has been monster hunters for the past thousand years or whatever. But they only you know they they got the chosen the first time, and the only other time we see any of them fighting a monster is Cholin's dad getting just like demolished by the Ginthiaki. Mm-hmm. Are they coasting off their their first ancestor a little bit here, or are they actually slaying monsters throughout this whole time? No, uh, I, they are. I think they are slaying monsters the whole time, but definitely okay. they're coasting on you know their uh, their their great grandpa's big score. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, he does fight a little bit. He kills some wraiths. I thought he looked fairly competent, but uh, oh, yeah, yes, like I was yes, saying, the get the get. The Gentiaki is just a, just a, just a badass yeah, fighter. Very so. powerful. Um, okay, maybe this this matchup might not be as powerful, uh, but we're gonna need we're gonna need an answer. So, uh, the dolls that Nyara turned her kids into <laughs> versus the Aura Coral. 
the oracle as she's grafted to the coral. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Um. Um. Hmm. 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 This, this this is more of a mental battle. I'm I'm, I'm picturing. Uh, yeah. So I would think it. Uh, so the coral, if it has uh, managed to graft all the limbs to the coral, would pretty mm-hmm. much render the oracle incapable of defense. But if one arm or leg is free, I think she could stomp or smash mm-hmm. dolls. Although I'm not sure what a fabric doll would do to a human being. Would they, like, stuff themselves inside someone's mouth and choke them? Like, uh, there's... <laughs> Could be, yeah. I hadn't even thought um, of that. I was yeah. thinking maybe, like, a mental battle because oh. both of these things influence other people. Like, maybe the dolls could convince Sela uh, to go punch the Oracle or maybe the Oracle could, like present a future where all dolls are oh. taking over the world or something and okay so so basically you're using super is this isn't a purely physical battle they're using their superpowers is what you're saying well, maybe I, oh, I don't know okay i'm gonna say anything's on the table <laughs> um then uh yeah i i guess i would uh probably go with uh the um geez i don't know the oracle <laughs> sure <laughs> perfect we're getting the exact response we hope for luke <laughs> okay um ooh, here's a toughie okay so this is the, this is kind of predicated on if you know the tv show wipeout it was kind of a uh a, a game that people played uh where they like were on a lake bouncing around and it's an obstacle course and trying to get trying not to get hit by things um, but, okay, so Wipeout-style obstacle course. Keelan on Cynicus's back versus the crone on the back of a Chosen. The what on the back of a Chosen? The cr- the crone. Oh, the crone. Wait, oh, 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 uh, Lady New Mill, uh, the crone. Right, um, yes. right. Um, I, uh, whew. Um, why, why would... Kaelin and Senecus not win there. Well, I, I, I this, this is I. I'm picturing the the chosen is like super very ag- agile here. Yeah. Okay, all right. So they are. That's true. Um, I, my my beloved grandmother is 93 years old, and I I can't imagine her doing an obstacle course. So uh, <laughs> I, I I might I might give the edge to. Um, to Kaelin and, and Seneca. Seneca's uh, the pure are, are quite good athletes as well. They have a little bit of superpowers right, okay. themselves. Right. Okay, that's good to know. Right. <laughs> I'm just okay. picturing an an old woman on the back of a child. I think that's that's an interesting <laughs> image. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And oh man, I'm just imagining them getting hit by a big, like novelty sized boxing glove that shoots out from the side of a wall and getting knocked into the, some water or something like that. Okay, so now I've got an image of that happening to my grandmother, so can we just move oh, on no. to... <laughs> okay. Um, we've got kind of a uh, multi-party contest. We're, we're curious who would win a hot dog eating contest between Lask, Aliana, Cholin, the tiger that eats Cholin's horse... Or the thing that takes over Demian's body. Oh, okay. Um, huh. And let's let's say it's to the death, so Aliana has something to fight for. This this is a hot dog eating contest. I feel like the answer is obvious. Dog, well, yeah, this is this is a hot dog eating contest. Yeah. I, I feel like any any wild animal, large carnivore, will go through hot dogs. Faster than Joey Chestnuts, right? I mean, let's be honest here. Like, I, I've seen the way my cats wolf, wolf down wet food, and mm-hmm. something much larger would just would just destroy hot dogs. Um, okay. The, the the thing that that, that takes over Demian, I, I'm I'm gonna say he doesn't doesn't actually consume food like you know a tiger ah, okay. would. So we're I'm gonna go with tiger. Something about the thing that takes over De- Demian. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We were we were we were fishing a little bit for that there. Um, okay, here's the, the last one, um, and this one, this one might take some debate. So, we've got a game of basketball, and 
you this is a game where you call your own fouls no refs calling your own fouls the chosen versus a squad of fist warriors <laughs> you where you call your own fouls yeah huh um, which 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 throws throws some wrinkles into it. Well, I'm gonna say chosen there because well, this would depend on the the particular fist warriors. They're fairly honorable, so I feel like you know they're like they'd be like the ultimate frisbee players. They 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 would they call they would call okay. actual fouls, you know, and try to play fair, which the chosen definitely wouldn't. Plus, they're you know as you said, very agile super athletes as well. So um, you've got two very skilled athlete athletic groups. One is much shorter, so obviously that's you know a big thing in basketball. But uh, I'm gonna go with the chosen would just um, they'd be like European soccer players. They would not play fair. Oh man, <laughs> fair. even with because I'm now thinking more about this and like the Fist Warriors would have the greatest teamwork of all time, right? Well, yeah, but the chosen are actually sort of all mind controlled by one of them you know or they're all linked and <laughs> that's true it's kind of a hive mind situation okay. i forgot about that yeah. yeah i was thinking i was thinking more um team chemistry plus height potentially overpowers athleticism but but i i didn't factor in the playing dirty a little bit okay yeah i like it you know if it, the, the game was being refereed I, we we might have more to talk about but uh <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's it's um, refereed by the Winter Warlock. So, <laughs> oh, so the, cho- the chosen just tear off his head and dunk <laughs> it or something. Oh yeah, we didn't consider. Oh Luke, we didn't consider the chosen just ripping the heads off of the fist warriors and using those to play basketball. Right. Can you call a foul if you've been decapitated? Right. That's a good point. Because I'm because I'm thinking that. You know, call your own fouls. The the fist warriors might be calling fouls on the chosen all the time, but if they lose their head, it's over. Right, and what's okay. the worst that can happen in basketball? Too, you could get an ejection, but let's just say that's just that's just a a, a common foul or even a technical. That's three free throws, right? Maximum. <laughs> Maximum three free throws. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good point. Okay. All right. Um, that's that's the last of our games. That's the last of our games and serious questions uh i was gonna ask you so you mentioned that you were gonna have a, i think you said another trilogy in this world mm-hmm. yes um uh, is that is that gonna be kind of based on characters that we already know um, or are we moving on a little bit so if you want i could just go into a little bit what i'm thinking of um and this may change as i haven't actually put pen to paper um on chapter one yet but uh, i have some really cool ideas i think i'm like really excited to start writing it i'm doing two other little projects before them but i'm hoping by the middle of the year i can i can start in earnest um but yeah it'll it's it's going to be called the cleansing and it'll take place five years after um well right now i'm thinking five years but it'll be some period of time after and the viewpoint characters um that i'm thinking of are going to be different but maybe one of them will be a character that wasn't a viewpoint character before, but was in the story. Um, so all the character, uh, well, the characters that survived will probably make an appearance. But whether they're, you know, the story revolves around them, is the question. But um, yeah. Anyway. All right. Awesome. That's exciting. Um, let's see. So okay, that, I was I was gonna ask what's next. That answers that. Do you have any? uh any any plugs to shout out um uh i guess i guess that's what you're that's what you're working on now but do you have anything that you'd like listeners to to check out or anything like that um no i mean i guess uh uh i could just do a quick shout out to some of the indie authors that i like is that is that that possible Um, definitely uh, well i mean if if people are listening to this they probably I hope they've read my book. Otherwise, there's really no point in reading my books. Um, but if you've read my books and you, you've liked them, um, there, are, there are a lot of other great independent authors out there. And some of the... Um, I, I really like Mike Shell's The Aching God. Um, I really like Will White's um, Cradle series, which he does not need any help pushing his stuff because he's <laughs> one of the most popular writers in America right now. But um, that's really good. Uh, there's... Um, now, of course, my... My mind is blanking, but, uh, you know, 
Uh, there's a few trad pub pubbed books now that were originally indie novels that are they're really good, uh, like um, Evan Winter's Rage of Dragons or uh, uh, um, uh, uh, We Ride the Storm by Devin Madsen. Really fantastic epic fantasy. I would recommend. Um, and uh, Kings of Paradise by Richard Nell. Uh, this is all stuff that uh, can be found probably on Amazon for relatively cheap. It's definitely worth the investment if uh, if you like epic fantasy and want to broaden horizons. Yeah, definitely. And uh, if you heard Mike Shell and Aching God, uh, that one of the authors that Alec just said, be sure to check out our series on Aching God by Mike Shell. Oh, and okay. uh, we we interview Al- uh, Mike as well. So. Uh, if that sounded interesting to you, well, good news. We've already got a series on it. So. How, however, read, read his book first. <laughs> absolutely read the book. Yeah, absolutely. Our, our show won't make sense if you don't read his book, but definitely yeah. read his book. All right. Um, awesome. Uh, thanks again to Alec Hudson for coming back on the pod, talking the Raveling series and giving us a little sneak peek on on what's to come in the in the future for Alec. Be sure... For next week, you read the first third of Red Rising by Pierce Brown. Um, We're going to be dipping back into a little bit of science fiction, Luke. And, uh, you know, just because we're reading science fiction doesn't mean we're not going to have hot takes, Luke. Or act like dumb nerds. (laughs)